0: The following podcast contains explicit language. I date younger men, predominantly men in their 20s. And when I date younger men, I have sex with younger men. And when I have sex with younger men, I encounter very directly and personally the real ramifications of the creeping ubiquity of hardcore pornography in our culture. Now, as a mature, experienced, confident older woman, when I encounter this, I have no problem realizing that a certain amount of re education, rehabilitation, and reorientation has to take place.
1: Hello, and welcome to Sex Lives, New York Magazine's podcast about sex. I'm Maureen O'Connor, and today I am sitting on the 33rd floor of an apartment on Fifth Avenue directly overlooking the New York City Public Library. It is the home of one Cindy Gallup, the founder of Make Love Not Porn, a sexual social media network dedicated to depicting real sex. Hi, Cindy. Hi. Welcome. Delighted to be here. And we are also joined by Make Love Not Porn's Madam Curator, Sarah Beale. Hi, Sarah. Hey there. So what is Make Love Not Porn?
0: So, Make Love Not Porn is a social sex video sharing platform that helps make it easier for the world to talk about sex in order to promote good sexual values and good sexual behaviour.
1: And by videos, you mean sex videos?
0: So, (laughs) we are pro sex, pro porn, pro knowing the difference. And so, what we are doing is inviting people to do the kind of video sharing that is the only kind Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, et al. will not let you, which is social sex. So um, our videos are not about performing for the camera. We're not porn. We're not amateur. They're simply about doing what you do on every social platform, which is capturing what goes on in the real world as it happens spontaneously in all its funny, messy, glorious, ridiculous, silly, wonderful, beautiful humanness.
1: And ultimately, does, I mean, that sharing do you think it serves like an auto-erotic purpose for the audience? Or, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to imagine where it fits in the daily browsing between, you know, chatting with friends on Twitter versus maybe looking at porn while I'm masturbating. Mm. Where does Make Love Not Porn fit into right. that?
0: Um, it fits into a completely different place that um, we do not operate in at the moment. And that is precisely <laughs> why we exist. So um, Make Love Not Porn comes out of my direct personal experience dating younger men. Mm -hmm. Um, About nine or ten years ago, I realized um, through dating younger men, I was encountering what happens when today's total freedom of access to porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. So I decided something about that, and purely as a side venture, I put up this little clunky site at com that posts the myths of hardcore porn balanced with reality, porn world versus real world. Launched at TED in 2009, I'm the only TED speaker to have said the words, come on my face on the TED stage, six <laughs> times succession. I believe to- it was do not come on my face. Well, 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 it it was more, um, this is what the expectation is when porn acts as default sex education in not a good way. Mm -hmm. And so um, the talk went viral. It drove an extraordinary response to my tiny, clunky website that I had never anticipated. And I felt a responsibility, given the amazing emails that I just began getting from thousands of people all around the world, I felt I had to find a way to take this forwards to make it much more far-reaching, helpful and effective because clearly this was a huge global social issue that needed an equally huge global social solution. Anybody who is offended by sexually explicit language, please cover their ears now and I will raise my hand where you can uncover them. So, I have no problem um, responding as I have regularly had to, actually, no, thank you very much, I would much rather you did not come on my face. My concern is both with the young guy who believes, because hardcore pornography has taught him, but my concern is particularly with the young girl whose boyfriend wants to come on her face, she does not want him to come on her face. But hardcore porn has taught her that all men love coming on women's faces. All women love having their faces come on. And therefore, she must let him come on her face and she must pretend to like it. So. So I am launching at TED today. I am unveiling makelovenotporn.com.
1: That TED talk you gave, it famously opens with you saying you date younger Mm. men. How did that come about? How long have right. you been dating younger men?
0: Right. Sure. So, um, Everything in my life and career, Make Love at Porn included, has happened by complete accident. Uh-huh. So I date younger men um, by accident. Um, and what I mean by that is 15 years ago now, I was running an ad agency here in New York mm-hmm. and we were asked to pitch for an online dating brand. It was coming out of the UK. It wanted to take on match in, in the US market. And in advertising, when you pitch for a client's account, you have to experience the client's product and the entire competitive landscape. Mm-hmm. So we all had to online date. And this was 15 years ago and none of us ever had because it wasn't a thing, you know, yeah. back then. So the rest of my pitch team at the agency were all married or they were living with or they were dating people. So they, they all went online as fake personas. You know, they created <laughs> identities. I was single. I thought I have to this the business reasons. Why don't I do this for real? You know, I might as well find out what this whole online dating thing is all about. So I posted my profile on a bunch of sites, very honest about everything, my age included,
1: And Um, you were single at the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've spent most of my life being single, by the way. Very Mm. happily so. I've never wanted married. I've never wanted children. And I'm not really a relationship person, to be honest. So um, I got an avalanche of responses. Very good for the ego. But much to my surprise, because I had totally not thought about this as a dating strategy, the majority of those responses were from younger men. So you're about, um, what, 42 at this oh, time to, oh, 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 wait, no, uh, I did the math uh, yeah, wrong. Uh, yeah, no, 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 15 years ago, yep. I was 42. Yep. Oh, my yep. God. And so I thought, gosh, I mean, I had not thought about this, but hey, works perfectly. So I began dating younger men and been doing so very happily ever since.
1: Did you find that the way those men have sex
0: is markedly different than the way men your age were having sex? Yes, although one of the issues about the whole era we're talking about generally is that there are vast amounts of nuance. Okay, um, so I want to emphasize... Make love, not porn, was inspired by some, but not all, of the younger men I date. Yes, okay, I, I date younger men who are fan bloody tastic in bed, even when they've slept with very few people previously mm-hmm. and have no need of make love, not porn whatsoever. But but yes, make love, not porn, was inspired by you know my experiences with, with younger men, which resulted in you know my encountering this issue, which honestly would never have occurred to me if I had not encountered it so very intimately and personally. Which is that in the absence of anything else porn just naturally becomes sex education by default. Mm -hmm. And I began realizing this nine or 10 years ago. You know, I encountered a number of sexual behavioral memes and went, whoa, I know where that behavior is coming from. And Uh I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. Because nine or 10 years ago, I didn't know that. No one was talking about this. No one's writing anything about it. And, and you're like, why is there a wave of people that all want to come on my face all of a sudden? I thought, I recognize, you know, this behavior, the voiceovers, the expressions, you know, uh-huh. and being a naturally action oriented person, I went, I'm going to do something about this. And that was how makelovenotporn.com started. You know, to, um, again, purely as a little side venture, the way it's blown up since is a complete accident as well. I never consciously intentionally set out to build this as a business originally.
1: I must say, I was talking to one of my girlfriends who works in a, um, actually in, in advertising. That's like, well, I'm going to talk to Cindy Gallup. Have you heard of her? She had a job as an ad exec. And then at some point in the midst of that, she realized she loved fucking younger men and has started a whole new career around that. And she's like, Jesus Christ, that is the ultimate New York dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Sarah, can you explain a little about, like, say I wanted to to join and I wanted to... How about first if I join and I want to just watch videos, how does that process work? Or I just want to interact in some way.
2: Sure. So it's free to sign up for TV. You'll go right onto our our main page. It's still very basic, but you'll see our latest video edition on the front page and you'll see a collection of entirely safer work stills from those videos, along with a backstory written by each of our Make Love Not Porn stars. You know, we have backstories like we were on vacation in Mexico and we had some margaritas and then we, you know, made out in the infinity pool and things led from there or mm-hmm. we have a lot of Airbnb and hotel room videos, <laughs> which I'm very <laughs> proud of, but yeah, so that's sort of your first encounter. Um, then once you choose a video you want to rent, it's uh, $5 to rent that video for three weeks. And then we split the profits 50, 50 with the make love, not porn star. Um, so they earn money and you support a good cause mm-hmm. and Yeah. And then you just get to sit back and enjoy.
1: Sarah, how does one curate that type of material when you're looking at videos and evaluating whether they're allowed on Make Love Not Porn Mm -hmm. and whether you're going to feature them particularly or just sort of allow them to sort of float in the social ether there? What do you look at?
2: Sure. So I would say our approach to curation is very gentle. I just want to tell everyone that up front have a very light touch, but we do have uh, some curation criteria. Um, the first is of course that everything filmed in the video is consensual and that uh, the video is uploaded consensually. If at any time people change their minds or a couple breaks up, we take their video down. Uh, no questions asked. How do you check for consent? Legally, um, we have to collect, um, documentation to make sure that people are of age. So there is the legal process. And then Mm -hmm. also I do a fair amount of email correspondence with our make love, not porn stars. And if at any point I have any doubts about how a video was filmed, I will go out of my way to actually Skype with, with that person to just confirm
0: um, yeah, but It's worth saying, um, just to, again, reassure your listeners, it is actually impossible to complete our submissions process if your video isn't fully consensual legal. Mm-hmm. As Sarah said, we require two forms of visual ID and full identification for every participant, mm-hmm. including, by the way, if you've chosen to have someone else behind the camera. Even if you never see them, we have to know exactly who they are. And you literally cannot complete the submissions process unless all of that has been provided. And our commitment to you as a make of ma- not porn star is the moment anything changes... Your relationship, your life, your circumstances, even just your mind. All you have to do is tell us, we take your videos down, they're gone forever, and they're nowhere else. So, consent then is
1: the first component. Yes. yes. What are the other curation criteria? It's very important that people
2: not perform for the camera. So, you know, we don't want people to, if P- different people have a different sort of level of comfort with the camera. A lot of the people who submit their real world sex to make love, not porn have never filmed themselves before. And Usually what we tell people who are brand new to it is to carry their phone or their camera around with them and film as much around their real world sex lives as possible. So it doesn't feel like they're kind of like creating an artificial scenario, depending on people's comfort level. You know, it's like if the camera's there and you're totally aware of it and it feels like you're performing by ignoring it, then don't do that. But definitely just have the sex that you have in your everyday lives. We make sure that our videos are porn cliche free Mm -hmm. to the extent that we don't feel like our make love not porn stars are um, replicating porn tropes in their videos, either intentionally because they think that's what people want to see and pay money for or unintentionally because, you know, porn cliches are so insidious, you know, pretty much the only way we see sex on video is through
1: porn. It is strange when I was looking through make love, not porn and thinking about it, that when I was thinking about porn cliches, I'm probably of that generation you speak of that sort of my sexual education star. I definitely saw porn before I had a sex talk, definitely Mm -hmm. saw porn tons before I ever had sex. And so it's funny because it's hard for me to even separate out what did porn put in my mind. And yet whatever was put in my mind from who knows what direction is still part of,
0: you know, my sex life. Well, here's the interesting thing, Maureen, because um, I want to emphasize that um, when, we, when we talk about porn cliches, mm-hmm. we, what we're not talking about is acts, okay? Okay. So I regularly say to people... Everything you see in porn, somebody somewhere enjoys doing. In fact, an awful lot of somebody's. So we're not talking about what you do. We're uh, we're talking about um, the way you approach sharing your real world sex. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is, you know, it's interesting. Um, Porn is now so ubiquitous, particularly via free tube sites, Mm -hmm. that people have unconsciously internalized porn tropes without realizing it. They think, for example, that when they submit the videos to us, In order to demonstrate it's real world sex, we have to see penetration happening really close up like you're doing porn. Actually, we don't. Zoom in on the dick, just going in and out and in and out. Yeah, exactly. And actually, you know, the conversation Sarah will have is pull the camera back because Mm -hmm. we want to see how you interact with each other. You know, we we want to see the connection between you. You don't have to prove that the sex you're having is for real. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other thing, for example, that people do is they will think, um, to Sarah's point, that you know, we want them to turn the camera on the minute they hit the sheets, turn it off the minute they've come. And we go, no, 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 no. You know, real world sex is context, start the camera running as early as possible because we want to see how you get turned on, how the clothes come, and then leave it running as long as possible afterwards because we want to see the aftermath. Mm-hmm. We want to see the wet patch. We want to see the cuddling. Mm-hmm. We want to hear the conversation. We we want to see the showering, you know. Um, and so, you know, that's what we mean by, by porn tropes. It's more about... um the way that people think they should be filming and sharing versus, you know, yeah. what, what they're actually doing. On,
1: uh, on, uh, uh, yeah. 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 Oh. 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 In what circumstances do you reject a video? What's that process like?
2: Luckily, I don't have to reject videos very often. Um, But one of the major reasons why I would is like the camera being way too close up. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, porn definitely teaches us that you need to see proof of sex at all times in order for a video to be sexy or worth paying for. And I think we internalize that. And especially with new Make Love Not Porn stars, you know, I feel like maybe there is a, a like a certain level of insecurity and they're like, okay, this is what people want to see.
1: so Or if they're trying not to show their faces or something. I noticed that some people have, you know, the full, everything is showing. Mm-hmm. Some people seem like they try to hide their faces while they're... Yeah,
2: and that's a good point. Like another one of our submission criteria is we're into people being creative and, and we're totally open to people being anonymous, wearing masks, obscuring their faces. It is a unique creative challenge to shoot a video where you don't show your face that doesn't rely solely on close up shots of sex um, to portray what you're doing.
1: I mean, I have to say the videos that were most interesting to me and that were most sort of moving were people who had regular faces also and seeing regular faces and a zoomed out camera of just regular people that that's a regular face. Here's the regular body it matches with. And here is the type of surprisingly crazy or utterly normal sex that that occurs. This this is the
0: wonderful thing about real world sex. It is wonderful to see people who just look like you and me having an amazing time. And by the way, our mantra is everybody is beautiful when they're having real world sex. Mm -hmm. And so it's just enormously inspiring. It's enormously moving. Again, you know, bear in mind that... This is voyeurism of a very holistic nature because this is, you know, real world people who are inviting you into their real world sex life and into their life as a whole. You know, quite early on, a woman wrote to us and went, oh my God, I love what you're doing, I love these videos. Then she said, this is probably going to sound really weird. But one of the things I love is I love seeing the insides of other people's homes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I wrote back and I said, it's not weird at all because I love that too. Oh, because is I, she a New Yorker? Do, Real do, estate do, obsessions. I've got, <laughs> I've got, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't where she's from. But, but obviously, our Make Love Not Porn stars are having sex everywhere. You know, on the kitchen floor, in the shower, in the mm-hmm. garden. You know, with one couple, um, the husband built a new shed for their garden. And when he, when he completed to celebrate, they had sex on the roof of the shed. and. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. and, and, and dirty shed if they had sex on the roof it most certainly is (laughs) and so the fascination is you are literally being invited into somebody else's life and you are able to see you know what their lives are like and also again in their intro videos they will talk about their life um and as you follow them you know they will go on vacation they will video themselves on a beach um in a tropical place you are privileged to share this person's life holistically Mm -hmm. as well as just the sex they have within it I'm curious, since we've talked a lot about sexual
1: education, what were your sexual educations like? Sarah, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. Um. You know, my mom, to her credit, like we didn't talk
2: a lot about sex, but she went out and made sure to get me a really good kind of progressive book about sex and sexual values. Do you remember and, what and the book body. was? It was called It's a Girl Thing. <laughs> I don't know. but it was really good. And, and, you know, of course, when she gave it to me, I was really embarrassed and tucked it away, but I was definitely up reading that book late at night. So that helped. And then my first boyfriend, um, his mother was divorced and she had recently started dating again. And I remember she had, uh, Sex for dummies lying around the house. And my my first boyfriend was a very precocious, very verbal person and I think he was definitely reading that later. Do you at think night. that book was there
1: for her or him? Probably both.
2: <laughs> you know, I think I think it served me well because it wasn't that fumbly. You know? Yeah. Like it was really exciting, and we were both really interested in exploring our bodies. And I think to his credit, he was really interested in exploring my body, and that made me feel okay about my body. And how did sex become part of your career? I came across the site nerve.com in my late teens, and I loved their sort of approach that, you know, smart people like having sex and talking about sex and. And they should be able to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and here's the space where we can, where we can explore that. So in school, I studied women's studies and creative writing adjacent to that. Um, I was a burlesque dancer.
1: I sold sex toys. How did you get into burlesque dancing? I just decided I wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Your creativity has just always had a bit of a sexual bent.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's just the part of me that's like, go do that. Um, <laughs> I ended up coming to New York to intern at nerve.com, um, in 2010, which is kind of a dream come true for me. And, uh, I had previously interviewed Cindy for Lickety huh. Splits blog uh-huh. and she invited me to come around for coffee. So I did, and we got along famously and she told me about tv. then she was still concepting mm-hmm. it and it kind of, yeah, went from there carry on and tell Maureen that the, yes. the full saga
0: of how you end up free. working with us no, no, you're no, free no, no. to jump in uh, on each other I'm too gonna see, uh, you're gonna like the next part of Sarah's journey so <laughs> keep going
2: okay yeah so I lived in New York for three months uh working for Nerve yeah Cindy was still concepting makelovenotporn.tv and Initially, I think it was going to be member curated and Mm -hmm. my role at the time for Lickety Split, I wasn't the first curator, but I was the curator at the time was curator. So I said, I think I think you really need a curator. I would really like to work with you. And she said, oh, well, I would love that, but I don't have any money to pay you. So I ended up leaving Nerve and going back to Montreal where I live And I ended up working for a very mainstream porn company
1: for about 11 months writing porn scripts. So many porn companies are based in Canada. Pornhub is based in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the big one. The one that is like the umbrella over all of them. Okay. So you were writing the script of what they say to each other. How much of the um, physical direction? Because, you know, in a script for a movie, sometimes they'll have a bit of she's facing the other way and then something happens or like they startle. How much did you direct any of the physical interaction when you're writing the script or it's just talk, 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 sex happens?
2: Yeah, I actually wrote a lot of the sex. So I wasn't really very familiar with mainstream porn before I started working in the mainstream porn industry Uh because I was always working on kind of an alternative or a counterpoint. But yeah, I was surprised. So one of the first things I was surprised to learn was just that They write foreplay into these porn scripts. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But then you quickly learn that the sex follows the very same script and it's all about acts and doing them in a certain order so that it's not like the woman is getting head for for 10 minutes. It's always starts with the blow job and then it leads to this. And then depending on, um, the niche of the site that the video is going on, you know, the positions are designed to emphasize a certain part of a woman's body. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I would be like, okay, start with, you know, 10 minutes of blow job followed by, you know, these three positions. And I would even put uh, pictures in the script of the positions and the angles. Oh
1: my goodness. I mean, when an interesting thing that I didn't uh, realize the writers had so
0: much power.
2: Yeah, we, we did. I mean, it was kind (laughs) of cool.
1: I, I enjoyed it. It was definitely, uh, she,
0: she was the only woman on the entire writing team. Were you not
1: allowed to write 10 minutes of the woman getting head? Like, would that just get rejected? I think the directors would just be like, well, like why it's just, it's, (laughs) it would get disregarded. (laughs) You know, they they pull a card uh, on the field and <laughs>
2: definitely like because um, male orgasm and pleasure is is more obvious to people. Like, you it can ends see up being the ending point of and the you video. Can see come yeah. like. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense in the context of a mainstream porn world to like show a woman, you know, getting head for like 20 minutes. I also dressed the porn stars, which really? was maybe my favorite part.
1: <laughs> what is what is running the wardrobe department for a porn star like?
2: I'm really into fashion, so this was kind of, like, a really fun part for me. But I would go on, like, Forever 21 and pick out, like, cute tops for, like, you know, the teen scenes or whatever. And I'd be like, buy these and buy these keds. So they were always, like, really well-dressed in my scene.
1: (laughs) You're not responsible for the weird, ugly heels that they somehow manage to keep on, though they get their fishnets off.
2: Yeah, no. I I tried to make them look good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think... The thing that kind of made working in mainstream porn okay for me was that I always saw the porn stars as real people. Yeah. I had a sense that for the most part they were enjoying their job. It was their job. But if there were things that I could write in the script where I, I would, would write in like vibrators into the script if I could mm-hmm. thinking in my head like, Oh, maybe this will help, you know, the female porn star get off or, you know, I just, I always regarded them as as real people who were there with real agency and and that was really important for me. Like, I don't think I could have done it if, if I didn't feel that way.
0: And that's something, by the way, um, we do at Make Love Not Porn as well. So we are the only place online where porn stars share the real world sex that they have off mm-hmm. the set. Um, we had a lot of friends in in the porn industry, and this was actually something that I conceived of as wanting us to do before we we, we launched and, and asked um, a couple of friends to kick it off with with their first videos actually. Um, so our, you know, gay, straight, lesbian, trans porn star friends do share on Make Love Not Porn, the sex they have in their real world relationships with their real world partners. Uh, Which porn stars are doing that for you guys? Um, so um, historically, he's now an ex-porn star, but um, Danny Wilde, um, mm. who is um, a good friend of mine, um, uh, his real world name is Chris Seischeg. Um, he was dating Lily Lebeau, um originally. Um, I met both of them some years ago. Is she a porn star too? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, okay. Um, she's fantastic, and um, and so um, they they shared a lovely video when we launched actually over four years ago. Subsequently, they broke up, and Lily went on to date somebody else, and and shared those videos. And Danny went on to date um, Asphyxia Noir and shared videos. Um, with her. Um, That is
1: so interesting. First of all, to be able mm. to compare the way they really have sex with the way they do it on set and then to see two people enter new relationships and see the way their sex changes. That was incredibly Mm. fascinating.
2: I was really pleased that we got to show two people in two different relationships. I mean, it's, I think it's really relatable for people. Mm.
1: I mean, there's some part Mm. of me that's almost like, I wish I had some secret rewind of videos that like to remember what it was like with Mm. different people and how it changed. Not that I wish there were any secret cameras in my apartment, but (laughs) like to just be able to have the documentation of that sounds really interesting. You're like, oh, right. Back in that phase, I used to always, you know, sit on a face Mm. when I got head. Mm. And then in this one, I was always lying down. So, Cindy, will you tell us about your sexual education, how you discovered sex?
0: Oh, um, my sexual education was non-existent. Okay. You know? So, um, uh, my parents... And how, did you, how yeah. did you find it yourself? Sure. My mother's Chinese, my father's English, both extremely old-fashioned, never, ever, ever taught me about sex when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Brunei, which is an orthodox Muslim country. So, obviously, nothing in the way of sex education went on anywhere around school or anywhere else there. I really learned about sex as a kind of organic process from reading, because I was a very precocious reader. Um, Mm -hmm. I began reading adult material at an early age. And by adult, I mean, my father tells me I was reading Shakespeare's sonnets at the age of six. (laughs) And, And he really fed that. And I was a voracious reader. I taught myself to speed read very early on because I loved reading so much. And so I just read, you know, a vast number of books, a lot of which were... Adult literature, as in, you know, um, for grown-ups, sort of grown-up themes, and learned about sex through some kind of symbiotic process (laughs) um, without being able to pinpoint an exact moment when... You know, I really understood all of the mechanics, but but I learned about it through books. Are there basically. any books that were particularly memorable for that? There was one particular book where all of my reading crystallized because I've been reading mm-hmm. books that featured sex without really understanding what those nice ladies and gentlemen were doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for some bizarre reason, there was a book by a writer called Boyd Upchurch called The Slave Stealer, which had some sex scenes in them. And I think that was the book where I first realized exactly what was going on and how it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was completely accidental. That's why I feel strongly now about Mm -hmm. really helping people be more open and honest about sex so that parents can have this conversation. As
1: always, we ask our listeners to call in. What would you like to hear listeners calling in about? I think I'd like to hear about their sexual educations and how much porn was or wasn't involved in it? Do they think porn affects
0: their personal sex
1: lives? What would you like to hear about? Um,
0: can I say something boringly pragmatic? Yeah. I would love in, um, listeners to call in and go, Cindy, I happen to have $2 million lying around and I can fund Make Love Not Porn. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody out there is an open-minded visionary investor or knows one, please hook a sister up. Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com. That's my dearest wish. Okay, so get
1: at it. You can call us at 646-494-3590 to leave a voicemail for either of these women, for me, about your feelings about porn, your sex life, how it affected you, and if you want to hand some money, I think the... Radiators have just turned on in Cindy's apartment. In my my 30-year-old
0: to be gut renovation apartment. (laughs) The winds have begun to howl a little
1: bit, so I think that's it. Um, Thanks for listening. Sex Lives is produced by Alana Milner and Afim Shapiro. Thanks also to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer at Panoply. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next
0: week.